Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right. Well, Pete, welcome to uh, welcome to the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Earl. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to uh, talking all things leadership with you today. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to have this conversation. And, uh, you know, for my listeners, the the name Responsible Leadership and the question I'm about to ask is going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, I've, I've built this up, but just as a reminder, uh, we're kind of rebranding the show just a little bit. From the Burden of Command to the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Same great content, same great guests. You'll see with Pete here uh, that nothing's really changed other than a few words. So with that, Pete, you have the honor of being the first guest that gets asked the new version of the question. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Well, Earl, I love this question as a starting point, first of all. And, and you know, as I think about responsible leadership, for me, it starts with the understanding that a leader um, carries a burden because they're responsible for the success of an organization, which is made up of a bunch of individuals who are people, who are genuine people and who have hopes and dreams and fears and frustrations. And um, a responsible leader is one who understands that burden and acts accordingly. Uh, certainly the leader is responsible for setting the culture for any organization that he or she is in charge of, setting the standards and the expectations for excellence in the organization, and really creating the pathway and, and building a vision for success for their organization and for all their team members so that everyone can buy into that vision and um, ultimately be on the same page, page, rowing their oars all in the same direction for the common good of the group. Mm. No, that is a great way to lead off the uh, lead off the round of answers on that question. And I loved everything you said there. And, and, and here's the great part about it. Like I mentioned in the pre-roll bio, your book, Limitless, uh, nine steps to launch your one extraordinary life. And I think these nine steps really tie in well to what you just said about responsible leadership. So I, I like the fact that there's a little bit of consistency in that theme there. Yeah, thank you. So much of uh, who we are as people is defines who we are as leaders and how we learn to lead. And uh, a lot of what I talk about uh, for what makes people successful is is also transferable to what makes organizations successful and ultimately what makes leadership successful in order to make organizations uh, uh, successful and achieve their goals. Yeah, no, and and uh, you know we were talking during the pre-roll uh, work up there uh, about some of the influences of of leadership on your life, and you'd mentioned uh, your father uh, being a Marine, uh, Semper Fi, and uh, uh, really appreciate 
that, and that influence is very prevalent uh, throughout this book. So, you know, talk about that a little bit. Like, what was some of the leadership uh, leadership lessons that you took away from your dad growing up? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. My dad had such a big influence on uh, on myself and my five siblings, and and so much of that was what he learned in the Marine Corps. And, and I always remember one of those lessons he gave me when I was a young kid, uh, maybe high school or something. And he talked about his experience one time on a, on a uh, military exercise, and he served after Korea and before Vietnam, so never had any uh, actual battle experience. But obviously, they did a lot of exercises out in the field and on beaches, et cetera. And, and he talked about how this uh, one general came into camp and the whole uh, organization, the whole um, battalion or whatever, is all kind of backing away. And it was lunchtime. And and, and he mentioned how the general turned to all the young officers like my dad and said, hey, listen, gentlemen, we don't eat first. We eat last. And we'll wait until every one of the troops um, and young Marines gets fed before we get in line. And, and I, that message of leaders uh, are only as good as the people that they lead, but they lead, best lead by serving others and, and creating a culture where we're all on the same team. And while certainly they have a role that's senior to uh, the group that they lead, they understand that servant leadership is really what makes a leadership successful, especially when times are tough. So, so that was certainly one of them. Um, beyond that, I remember my dad who spent his whole career at Procter & Gamble. Um, occasionally they'd be bringing in uh, other folks who were moving into the headquarters area in Cincinnati where we lived, and he would invite many former military folks, Marines, etc., um, who served in the Marine Corps or in the Army or in the military, and and um, he'd bring them over to dinner. And, and he, I would just love the stories when my dad and his guests would talk about their experience in the Marine Corps and how much the Marines uh, or their military experiences meant to them in the development of their own leadership skills and how that transferred so successfully into their professional lives when they moved into corporate America or what have you. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, uh, you know, that leaders eat last concept, that's one that, you know, Simon Sinek kind of has, has made famous mainstream, if you will, with his book. But you're right. I mean, that was a core tenant of, of Marine Corps leadership. And, you know, for those of you who haven't read the book or aren't really familiar with it, the point of that exercise is, you know, you have to be willing to take care of folks before you take care of yourself. That's one of those kind of tenets of leadership. And, if you're the person who is busting ahead in, in the chow line just because of your rank, well, you lose a lot of respect because you're telling your troops that you're more important than they are. And, and that's not the message you want, not on a battlefield and not in a boardroom either, right? No doubt. Another lesson I heard, I learned later on early in my career was studying John Maxwell. And he used to always speak about how uh, people don't, care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And that's a great leadership lesson for all of us because there's so many smart young people who sometimes get thrown into a leadership position and they think their brains alone or their knowledge alone is enough to say, okay, I deserve this role as a leader. Uh, but the reality is um, over time, people won't follow leaders who aren't servant leaders, who aren't doing what's best for the entire organization and aren't thinking about themselves first. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, you just touched on something else here that's really, uh, really great. And I've mentioned a few times on the show here, uh, but I'm curious to hear your take on it with, with your experiences. Uh, so there was a Harvard Business Review article published, I want to say it was either 2012 or 2014. And this was a global study. And uh, the title of the article was, We Wait Too Long to Train Our Leaders. And the, the study, there was thousands of respondents across the globe, across various sectors of, of business. But the gist of it was the two important questions they honed in on were, what age were you promoted into your first leadership slash management position? And what age did you receive your first leadership slash management training? And there was a 10-year gap in the bad direction, meaning that people normally got promoted in their early 30s into their first leadership management role, but they didn't get their first training until their early 40s. And that's just tragic, right? It really is tragic. And um, that, that training is so critically important, and, and uh, it, it is hard to imagine that organizations are promoting people and then as many as 10 years later finally deciding they're going to try and train and as we all know we we quickly kind of develop habits in any kind of new role including leadership and sometimes those habits aren't good and if we're not being taught properly as we get started in something like this uh, sometimes the bad habits are the ones that manifest and uh, that ends up causing lots of problems so I just can't say enough about the importance of training and developing um, in general, but especially for leaders who are responsible for um, groups of people that rely on them. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, coming from folks that do what we do, that may sound a little self-serving to folks who are listening, but it's true. I mean, you just need to invest in that training. And, you know, here's the great thing. What I love about doing what we do, and, and maybe your experiences are a little bit different, but while we're all in the same space and we're all somewhat competing for clients, there's not a lot of like direct animosity type competition in this space. We all understand the importance of this training and what it can do for organizations. And, and there's a lot of support amongst high quality leadership trainers. Is that the same experience you've had? No doubt. No doubt. And, and I, I think that's part of what good leaders do, right? Is that good leaders want to, want to replicate themselves and they want to, they're constantly learning from others and, and, uh, I think, unfortunately, sometimes leaders who struggle are, are the ones who think about the pie is only so big, and so I may need to make sure I grab as much of that as I can. And and the best leaders are thinking about the pie is endless. It's just a matter of how do we how do we find that out, and how do we develop our skills to make that pie endless so there's plenty for all to eat, if you will. No, I love it. You know, and and you mentioned John Maxwell, and you know he's kind of the 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 big guru that that a lot of people have read. But you know the thing is is that doesn't work for everybody. That's why we need other books like Limitless out there. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is the approach that works best for them. You, you like the little segue there into the book, right? Absolutely. And, and thank you. And, and the, the book Limitless is, as you described early on, it, it talks about things that I learned from studying a lot of successful people when I was younger. And I'd gone through some hard times and was sometimes scratching my head saying, asking myself if I really had what it took. And, and, uh, and, and in a few tough years there, when, when things had not gone very well, I really had to kind of soul search. And, and I decided that there are a lot of successful people 
uh, how do I go learn from what they've done? What they've done? And so I started reading and watching um, what was back then DVDs or or, uh, or um, cassette kind of recordings of of people speaking about their journey and and uh, those those conversations and those articles and books I read about other successful people from all walks of life really is what led me to the short list that I created, which at that time I called it the traits of a champion, which were just guideposts that I would use and I typed them up and I put them in my briefcase and I'd refer to them on a regular basis for inspiration, maybe for guidance and nice reminders on my journey. Um, and uh, eventually I, I typed those up for my kids and put them on my, their bathroom mirror when they got to middle school age. And um, and then I heard at a conference that we had in my company years ago, um, I shared that list with folks. And that's where the idea of the book came, uh, that a number of people came up to me after I presented that list and said, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. You really need to turn this into a book because so many people could benefit from not only their own life, but as you mentioned earlier, Earl, the trans, tra the transferal of that, those same kind of traits to the success of a leader. Yeah, no, I love it. And and these these steps that you've identified are fantastic. And uh, you know, listeners, again, as always, you know, we're not going to cover everything in the book. We just don't have enough time. And uh, you know, in all honesty, we'd be doing you a little bit of a disservice because. You know, what I might think is important is maybe not what you take away as an important piece, but we're going to talk about a good chunk of it here, and I highly encourage you to go out and grab a copy of Limitless. So with that, uh, Pete, let's go ahead and kind of start talking about some of these steps here, and I love where you start with, with step one, if you will, uh, win the battle in your head. So what does that mean to you? <laughs> And, and there's a reason why it's step one, because I think, frankly, it's the most important step in the whole book. And, and you know, certainly from my own experiences that, uh, that I had growing up and in my early career, and even today, every single day, I think uh, we all need to understand and acknowledge that not just us, but everyone has this self-doubt in their head, right? And I like to describe it, and I described it in the book, as we all have this positive voice in our head as well as a negative voice. And the positive voice is the one that says, hey, you are good enough. You can go do this. Try it. Everything's going to work out fine. And then the negative voice is the one that's constantly chirping behind that saying, you know what? You're a failure. Don't take that risk. Um, you're not as good as other people are. Uh, you don't have the tools for success, etc." And too often, as I see time and time again with younger people and, and even adults, uh, it's that negative voice that wins. And so I have just learned that until someone realizes and acknowledges that they have that negative voice and positive voice in their head and finds a way to think it through um, and, and finds a way to make sure that that positive voice uh, speaks louder and more frequently than the negative voice, then we're always staying within our shell. We're always staying in our safety area where we don't have to take any risk where we don't have to risk any failure. And, and part of Limitless, as the title implies, is, hey, we only have one life to live and let's chase our dreams and, and let's go after everything we think we always dreamed about doing as a kid. But for what often, often happens too much is that um, those dreams start to dissipate as we get older and we just settle. And I've seen so many people get in their 50s and 60s and 70s and, and talk about woulda, shoulda, coulda, and if I'd only done this, I'd only done that. 
but they took the safe route, which uh, never allowed them to really stretch themselves. And so if we learn early on or early learn today that we can find ways to learn how to get our positive voice to speak more readily and more frequently than our negative voice, that is the first and most fundamental step to creating that limitless life as a as an individual or as a leader, frankly. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And, you know, it reminded me of two great quotes uh, as you were explaining that. One uh, was from General Mattis, and uh, he was famous for saying the most uh, the most important six inches on a battlefield are between your ears. And what I love about it, a lot of people didn't pick up on, and I, I want to believe he did this intentionally, was he said, your ears, not his ears, your ears. And the other quote, and uh, I believe this is attributed to uh, Henry Ford, was he says, whether you believe you can or you believe you cannot, you're probably right. Yes. And, and again, he uses you, not whether other people believe you can or cannot. And I think that's the point of this here, right, is this is all about you and your mindset, right? It really is. And and such a great point there, Earl, and, and I can't emphasize that enough uh, from certainly my experience and learning over the years. It is about you. And I'm the first one to acknowledge that on a relative basis, I've I've had certainly had my challenges and I've had some businesses that have failed and, and I've had some setbacks. Uh, but I know a lot of people who have become much more successful than I am that started and had some challenges that were much greater than I ever imagined. And so for the listeners out there, you know, so many of us have all had failures. And I talk about failures in the book and the importance of failures. Um, but as it relates to that mindset and, and, and thinking, thinking positively, it all about, it's all about, okay, tomorrow starts the rest of my life. And I can spend my time thinking about what happened negatively in my past and let that control my future because it didn't work out then, or I had a bad childhood, or I had really horrible parents, and, and some of that was traumatic. And I, I'm the first one to admit that some people have gone through just some endless challenges. But there are people like who have been through those same kind of experiences and somehow, some way, find a way to build that positive voice in their head, found a way to start thinking and dreaming and, and chasing after uh, all those things they wanted, and ultimately becoming huge success. So my message is always about no matter what you've been through, your rest of your life starts tomorrow. And we can decide to break free from our past or we can decide to let the, the past control our future. And, and uh, again, that's why that win the battle in your head is, is that first chapter, because until we win that, that battle in our head, everything else is for naught. Yeah, no, I love it. And, and I imagine, because, uh, you know, I have a very similar mindset uh, but I imagine you probably run into the same thing that, that I get quite a bit is, you know, hey, Pete, that's easier said than done. So when you hear that, what's your response to, to that uh, reply? Well, it's it's easier said than done to uh, someone who's not ready to make that jump and, and decide that uh, it's going to happen. And, and certainly it's easier said than done. The done represents the hard work. It's I love the Teddy Roosevelt quote that you've probably familiar with Earl and I'm sure your your um, your your listeners have heard but he talks about the man in the arena and and uh, how it's 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 much much more difficult but much more rewarding to be the actual man in the arena on the field versus the one in the stands who's saying 
um, you know, watching from afar and saying, oh, easier said than done, or you're not good enough, or look how you failed out there. And it's the, um, I love the end where he says, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, but who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Um, so it is, it is a lot easier said than done, but it can be done. And it starts out by really training your mind to think positively. And I talk in the book about a handful of steps that I've learned over the years to help train myself to, to, um, create that, that positive mindset and let that positive voice win more often. Yeah, no, I like that. And, and there you go, uh, listeners, those steps, there's, there's your first old nugget to go out and buy a copy of Limitless. Um, so let's go ahead and jump ahead a couple of steps here, uh, because I like this one as well. Dream big, then make it bigger. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I, I uh, years ago, I think it was in the late 80s, uh, I, I learned about the power of vision. And uh, there was a, a video um, that was out uh, by Joel Barker, and it was a, a I think I think it was maybe seven or eight minute video, but it was about the power of vision. And he talked about how people and organizations who had created big visions uh, and built a you kind of build a unified organization around that vision, how uh, they were able to rise from oftentimes nothing to amazing things. And I think that's the part of us as individuals or as leaders of organizations. Um, I mentioned that dream big and then make it bigger. And and. So often, I think we limit even our visions, our visions for what we want to be in the future. And so uh, this idea of, of dreaming big is encouraging us to really think about, okay, what is it we want our life to be? And not to think about tomorrow or two weeks or even a year from now, but I encourage people to think out 10, 15, 20 years and, and capture that on paper. I'm such a big fan of writing things down because I found in my life that Whenever I write goals down, whenever whenever I write vision statements down, um, inevitably, in almost every case, they come true. And if they don't come true, I'm much closer to that big vision I wrote down than I ended up being um, if I hadn't written anything down at all. And, and I've moved forward a tremendous amount in my life. And so I just encourage folks to say until once you win that positive battle in your head and you start thinking about your future, um, we, we have to all dream bigger to create a limit, limitless life. It start to be, it starts by allowing ourselves to think about the possibilities that are ahead of us. And, um, too often we limit these possibilities because our mind won't free ourselves to imagine what a compelling life, what a compelling experience we can create, what a compelling profession and success we can have personally and professionally and whatever it is that we choose to do. And so, um, the, the make it bigger is really important so that people think beyond just the practical reality of, of a vision five or 10 or 20 years from now. Yeah, no, I mean, that is a great point. And, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I'm a big space junkie and, and a lot of people, you know, they, they like the astronauts. They're kind of like the quarterbacks of the space program. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Gene Kranz and, and he made a great point that I think lines up with this. Uh, it was one of the TV interviews he was doing for, you know, he's had umpteen documentaries that he's been a part of. But somebody asked him once uh, what he thought one of the biggest failures of the NASA program was while he was there. 
And his response really kind of took me aback. He says, I really think one of the biggest failures uh, was when we landed on the moon. And you could see the the reporter kind of give him the, the side eye, like, what are you talking about? And he says, it wasn't so much that we landed on the moon. It's that we landed on the moon and we didn't have our next target lined up. He said, because almost as soon as we landed on the moon, the budget started getting cut. Missions started getting scrubbed. We didn't have the next thing to keep that momentum driving us to get to uh, Mars, to get to wherever was next. We won and we stopped. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? It sure is. That sure is. There's no doubt. And, and uh, that happens all too often. We set small goals. We have small victories. We set big goals. We have, to have the opportunity to have really big victories. And um, you know, it's it's even space. It's even neat to when you think about space and what Elon Musk and, and some of these other super successful rich people have done. And some people laugh at that. But that's the power of vision, right? That these folks who have uh, done things in other industries have decided that, hey, I'm we're going to create life or, or travel to space. And and that's a big, big vision when they start thinking about this five or 10 years ago, whenever they got got started. And now we're seeing these flights that are where they're taking people in and out of the atmosphere and up in the space. And people would have laughed. I'm sure people laughed five or 10 years ago. In fact, even in my own experience as, a, as an aside here, uh, when we when I started our company back 14 years ago in 2007, uh, we really talked about what's our vision going to be for what is today Fusion Education Group. And and uh, at the time, we were just getting started. It was just myself and a couple other people. We had one school that we had acquired with our uh, the money we had raised from investors. And we crafted our vision statement. And I and I had it blown up and printed on foam core and hung in our in our little uh, entryway in our small little office. And it said, our vision is to someday have over 100 schools that are serving thousands of kids across America with unique personalized programming, et cetera. And I remember that people would walk in and, and uh, kind of smirk at this big sign that says, this, this company, this tiny little company with three or four employees is going to have 100 schools. Yeah, right, right. But we used that as a rallying cry for years. And I would always be reminding young leaders and, and people we hired in the organization that said, hey, at that time, we we're at eight or 10 schools. I said, someday we're going to have 100 schools around here. And um, we need to be ready for that. We need to be preparing for that. And we need to be thinking big about how we're going to get there. And today, we're not quite there, but we're about 80 schools now across the country. And um, there's no doubt in my mind we'll get there in the next few years. But that all started with a leader willing to think big and, and get an organiza organization excited about a seemingly impossible goal, whether it's space or leading our own organization or building our own life, our own life and chasing that limitless life. It all starts with our willingness to break out of the barriers and the constraints that we've built around us naturally over time and say, you know what, it's going to we're going to go for something much bigger than might be practical. Yeah, no, I love it. Well, you know, and I think this is a good uh, a good time to actually let's talk about that business for a second here. So, uh, when when you talk about these schools, are these schools that that you're building, or are these schools that you're taking over that are struggling? Uh, like, like how does that business work? And you know, kind of share the goal of it if you would, real quick. Yeah, great question. Um, Earl, I had run a uh, in a charter school organization before I started this business, and and. Uh, one of the things that I realized in the, in the charter school experience I had was how how 
traditional schools haven't really changed in a hundred years and built back in the industrial age to try and educate as many people um, as possible. And, and so because of that, we have our grade set up now that says if you're 12 years old, by golly, we're going to put you in sixth grade. Now, you may be able to be achieving at levels in the seventh, eighth and ninth grade, uh, but you're going to put be in sixth grade and or you may be behind and need more help and you're really at the level of fourth or fifth grade, but we're going to put you in sixth grade and we're going to move you around year after year. And so inevitably your kids who are ahead of grade kind of are frustrated and they seem to revert back to the norm all too often. And kids who are behind tend to fall further and further behind. And so it just seemed to me that the future of education was going to be about personalization and individualization and customization. So when I launched the business and raised the money from investors back in 2007, it was this idea of let's go find some really unique models that are doing compelling things and and, uh, find a way to acquire those and then start to replicate them. And so we bought the original Fusion Academy uh, campus in just north of San Diego back in 2008 and small little tiny strip center in a a little tiny space of about 6,000 square feet. Uh, where every class was taught one-to-one, one teacher, one student. And those teachers were as much mentors as they were teachers. And they could mentor each and every kid. They could provide real customization and personalization in their instruction and their lesson planning and everything else. And we could really help kids meet kids where they were and, and help them accelerate from there. And I saw that first campus and fell in love. And uh, and I, I told the entrepreneur, Michelle Rose Gilman, who's still a partner to this day, that uh, there need to be 50 of these around the country, Michelle, and and we eventually acquired that school and have been replicating those ever since. So uh, mainly we have focused on replication. We've done a few other acquisitions in addition to that. Um, But of our 80 schools, about almost 65 of those are uh, schools that we started from the ground up replicating that original Fusion Academy model. No, I love that. And I love that model. And, and you know, I really, really wish y'all had been around when I was through school because, you know, you'd kind of describe me to a T there. I, I hated school. I was bored. You know, I probably should have been a grade or two ahead, but, you know, that just wasn't something that, you know, again, growing up in uh small town, Northeast Tennessee, that wasn't something that, that they were really on the lookout for. Uh, so, yeah, I know my, my teachers today are kind of shocked because I was a terrible student. You know, I was bored. I had discipline issues because I was always acting out, trying to get some attention because of the boredom and all that. Um, but no, I, I love that mission. And, you know, again, parents, you know, think about that here. As, as we talked about earlier, you know, there's some tendency to focus on those negatives. But, you know, studies have shown that a lot of times, a lot of behavioral issues, not all of them, but a lot of behavioral issues kind of come right back to, to that boredom piece and that need for a different type of learning, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny, about a year ago, we launched our, our virtual school that we call Fusion Global Academy, and we're serving kids now in 45, 46 different states, I believe, in 18 different countries. And that's what's really been rewarding for us is while we have our 80 brick and mortar campuses, if you will, physical schools that students come to every day. We're also able to meet the needs of kids in, in all corners of the of the country and provide uh, a very similar one-to-one program, uh, much like we're doing in our physical facilities now entirely online. And, and uh, there's a lot of kids who just, I mean, almost every kid is going to learn better in a one-to-one environment, learn better when their teachers 
are mentoring them and helping them develop socially and emotionally. And that's one of the things that we really try and focus on is, you know, academic success and doing well in school um, is really, really important. And that's a key part of success long term. But we can't forget that it's the whole child. Uh, their social, emotional, social and emotional development is equally important. And so we've really tried to create a program and, and create a model uh, that will mirror what success in life is going to be. Because you can be really, really smart, but if you don't have social skills and if you're not up to speed on, on how to handle yourself socially and how to interact with others, and if you don't have the emotional wherewithal to manage through the tough times, then you're going to be at a disadvantage. And so what we try and do is create kids who are ready for success in life where they too can go chase their dreams and, and be excited about their futures versus frustrated with um, what may have happened at their uh, previous school uh, that they were struggling in, for instance. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and listeners may be like, okay, we kind of took a path off of leadership here to start talking about education. But, you know, I can't think of any other any other form of responsible leadership that's maybe has the bigger impact on society than what we're talking about here right now, because, you know, that this stuff matters. And, and as a leader, even if you don't have kids, right, these are things that the people who work for you, the people who follow you are dealing with on a daily basis. And, you know, if you can be a part of the solution and help provide some programs or help provide access to some of these programs, you know, if, if that person doesn't have to worry about their kid and the education that they're getting, they're going to be much happier at their job and they're going to be much more productive and much more thankful. So this is all encompassing here. This isn't two different conversations. This is still part of the same conversation. Um, oh, and, and sorry to interrupt there, but I, I think a great point there is leadership is, is what parenting is all about too. Right. And, and, and there's a lot of parents on this call. Um, I really encourage parents that kids are going to reflect what's a priority to parents and, and uh, especially uh, first a shout out to so many moms who I know are heavily involved in their child's education. And I just encourage dads to be equally involved. And, and uh, I, I really send a message that whenever possible, both parents should try and get to parent teacher conferences, even when the kids are young and even when they're in high school. And what we what we do is what our kids learn. And, and uh, if we're not making it a priority, if we don't show uh, the importance of our understanding what our child is learning and, and meeting with the teachers and being involved to help ensure that the that the student is being challenged, et cetera, then we're sending the message to our kids that it's not that important. And and uh, so parents are leaders. Everything they do is watched and uh making education a priority. There's not much that's that's more important in terms of leadership than doing that for our families. Absolutely. I love that 100%. Um, so that kind of segues into one of the other steps here because you talked about identifying the need. Uh, you talked about getting started up, getting the investors. You talked about all that. And then uh, you mentioned kind of going online. And I know that is something that uh, a lot of folks really had to ramp up or even start from scratch. Uh, during COVID-19 and all those restrictions. Uh, so uh, the step I'm actually talking about here is be courageous. Uh, and I think that is is kind of a key element here to what we've been talking about here is being courageous to identify that problem and take that first step, right? It sure is. And, and be courageous has so many meaning, meanings. It starts with being courageous with ourselves, right? It's it's uh, being courageous enough to take these steps. Uh, and 
training ourselves to let that positive voice win more often than negative so that we win the battle in our head to th dream big and, and make it bigger. Those are all part of being courageous and being willing to change. And, and, and then it's about how we handle ourselves with peers. And, and I, I, sometimes the road to success, the road to creating a limitless life, the road to becoming a great leader is full of potholes and, and it, it forces us to stretch ourselves. And, and being courageous is, is also about failure, which is one of, one of the chapters in the book that I talk about called Fail Often, which you know, being courageous is, in, is encouraging ourselves to step out of the safety zone that, we, that too often we stay in where everything's comfortable. We don't risk failure. We don't risk um, negative viewpoints from other people or, or gossip or anything like that. But we also don't gain anything that way. And, and when we're failing, all that means is we're pushing our uh, we're pushing our, our zone of comfort a little bit. And, and whenever we push our zone of comfort, we fail, but we grow just like a child learning how to walk. Right. We have a lot of failure when we first get started in life, and but we learn how to overcome those and having the courage to do that. And, and, and then also having the courage to stand up and make tough decisions in life. And um, it's just so important. I know that sometimes when we are going to go out and change our life and we're going to set big goals, uh, a lot of our friends that we spend our time with to date are people who are going to try and talk us out of that, who are going to say, oh, that's a waste of time. Just stay like us and don't push yourself and don't go create this great life. And we have to be uh, cognizant of that. And sometimes that means we find new friends, um, which also relates to the, the book and the chapter in the book that I call Find Champions. Find, find a champion in your life to be a mentor and, and help you kind of break through these difficult mountains, different times and, and, and become that courageous person. Um, that you want to be, that you need to be in order to chase that limitless life and achieve your dreams. Oh, yeah. No, there was a lot there. And I'm glad you talked about find a champion because that's kind of what I wanted to get to next. But I want to touch on that courage piece. And, and I'm sure, again, this is something that you probably heard growing up. But, you know, a lot of people think that courage is courage is a lack of fear. And it's not you know, that that's insanity. If you're not afraid of anything, you're, you're insane because there's a lot to be afraid of. The point of courage is being afraid, but being willing and able to continue doing the thing anyway, because it's necessary. And, and I think that's exactly what you've done here with, with your businesses and, and with this book. So, you know, thank you for having the courage to not only do all that, but come on here and have this conversation with me and my listeners. Appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. And, and your point is right. Is It's courage is not the absence of fear, right? It's fear is always with us, right? But it's the willingness to act through that. Um, and despite the fear to still make tough decisions, to still do things that are uncomfortable, to still try and risk failure. And that, that's what it's all about. In fact, I love a quote by a woman named Susan David. She called it, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. And so yeah. that's, that's a great lesson for all of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that. I love that. Um, you know, and, and here's the other thing with, with comfort and, and what we're talking about here, right? Because I've heard some folks who, who just, you know, they kind of shout, that is a mantra, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that was a Marine thing. We, we had that too, you know, but the point is, and, and this is where it kind of segueing into find a champion. The point is 
you can do a little more harm than good by just being comfortable, being uncomfortable. If you don't have somebody there to help you through the process, right? I mean, you can't just walk into a gym on day one and throw 300 pounds on a barbell and go to town. You've got to work through those levels of discomfort to get to that level of performance. And that's kind of where these champions, these mentors, these coaches uh, come into play, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to, to create a limitless life, to chase your dreams, to break free from your past, to do that by yourself, it's a lonely, lonely track, and it's tough, and, and there's setbacks, and, and it just becomes too easy to turn around. But when you enroll people as a support mechanism or as a mentoring mechanism or someone to be there and, and pull you up when you're down, but also challenge you when you're lazy and you're walking away from your dreams, that's what it's all about. And so uh, mentors can be older folks who have been there before you and, and may really help um, provide some, some great counsel as, as you pursue maybe a similar path as someone else has had done successfully. Mentors can be peers, uh, fellow friends who have and colleagues who have similar goals and objectives and, and dreams that they want to pursue. Those are the best kind and uh, you know, from all walks of life. And so when we surround ourselves with people who are on our team, who are champions for our success, it just becomes a lot easier. Otherwise, it's just you and your dreams and, and all the challenges that sit between you and, and that ultimate goal. And, and to do that by yourself is is really, really difficult. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And, you know, we see in modern workplaces now, uh, you know, sometimes that mentor is is the fresh young kid off the street. You know, as we get a little bit more tech involved, as we get a little bit more social media heavy in, in our businesses, Sometimes it's that kid uh, that's going to teach you something, right? Oh, absolutely. It's amazing where we can learn so much about life and, and realize, frankly, how, how good we have it. And sometimes we sit in self-pity and we think about all the challenges we've had to go through and, and then we see somebody else. And, and, you know, for instance, I think with your military background, Earl, I mean, there's people who came back from wars and have tremendous uh, you know, lost arms and legs and, and brain trauma and everything else. And we think about how they're pulling themselves up and, and finding success. And, and that's a real inspiration for all of us. Or if you, have, you, you see people who have natural challenges and what they've been through and how they've been able to still find a way, um, that's a great reminder for all of us that uh, the learning is everywhere. We just have to have our eyes open. 100%. 100%. Well, Pete, we've been chatting here for a little over 40 minutes at this point. And, uh, brother, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I really do appreciate you uh, having this conversation with us. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you'd like to leave listeners with before we close out of here? You know, Earl, it's been a pleasure. So thank you again for having me on your show. And, and uh, kudos to all of your listeners um, you know, I, I think that the, we really hit on, on some big pieces and, and this idea of uh, one of the things I talk about in, in the book that we didn't really have time for today is take that first step. And uh, that's the one thing I always try and remind people because I have a lot of people who come up to me and they're talking about these dreams they have and, and um, how they're going to go do this and go do that. And, and, you know, my experience has been that so often uh, those those dreams rattle in, in someone's head until they're replaced by the next great idea. And 
I always ask people, have you um, a few things to confirm if they're really if they're really going to go chase it? And, and one is, have they written that down? Have they written that vision of, of what it is that they're talking about that they want to become or go do? Have they written it down? And like I said, it happens so much when we write things down. Two, have they told other people about it? Because like I said earlier, it's lonely and it's a quick journey when you're not telling other people and you don't have champions around you. So telling other people about it is really the second most important, second big important step here. And then finally, have you gotten started and, and what's that first step going to be? And so whether that first step for listeners who want to go chase that limitless life is is ordering my book or, or ordering any other book that's about self-development, doesn't matter what it is or some other step that you think will help you along the way. Um, then I, I think that you're well on your way because until we take that first step, we're stuck endlessly in the starting blocks and the chance of us getting going beyond that. But if we take that first step, it's just inevitable how it works after that, where each step thereafter uh, just becomes easier along the path. Mm, no, I love that right there. So you, you mentioned something great there. Uh, you know, hopefully we've got people on board. Uh, they're, they're bought in. They want to find out what the rest of these steps are. Again, uh, listeners, we kind of touched on just about every one of them, but we left a lot of meat on this bone. So if people want to get out there and find out more about you, uh, your organization, everything that you can do for, for them, uh, and get a copy of Limitless, Nine Steps to Launch Your One Extraordinary Life, what's a good way for them to do that, Pete? Yeah, thank you, Earl. And the best way to do that is if to order the book is just simply go to Amazon.com and you can search Limitless by Pete Rupert. Uh, alternatively, if you want to learn more about me and our organization and the book and, and some of the, uh, the tools that we provide on our website, you can go to PeteRupert.com and uh, there you can also order the book from there. Um, that's the key is, and, and for those who haven't seen the book, it's, it's, I, I wrote it to make it short, powerful, and impactful. So with about 140 pages, it's a quick read, and, uh, but yet I think full of great lessons that I have learned from others and um, ones that I, I'm certain that they can put to, put to use themselves. No, I love that. That is a great way to describe it because it is all of those things. So you, you definitely hit your target with that. Um, we'll make sure all that stuff gets in the show notes here. So listeners, all you got to do is click a link and uh, hit purchase. Uh, so, you know, again, thank you very much, Pete, for being with my listeners now today. Earl, my pleasure. Thank you. Best of luck to you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. 
I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations, you're out of order, and I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid. 